What's up guys, welcome back to Blondes Building Equity. Today we have a really special guest who I'm super excited about. We have Ryan Panedra. He has done over 500 flips. And something I really look up to him about is you guys ask me all the time, I don't have any money, I can't get started. That's all of your guys' limiting belief. And so he built it from the ground up. He has a fascinating story and I'm super excited to ask him some questions today. And hopefully it can inspire you guys to get started in your real estate business or whatever business you want get started. So go ahead, Ryan. Yeah, thanks for having me on the show. I'm super excited. It's awesome what you guys are doing and, and sharing you guys' journey. So anyway, I can help you guys out. Definitely let me know. You know, my journey is kind of interesting. Um, I'll give you guys the two minute version. I started out just wanting to be a baseball player my whole life. I've got a ton of baseball stuff in my background. And I was fortunate enough to get drafted by the Oakland A's in uh, 2010. So everything was kind of going good according to plan. But most people don't know in the minor leagues, you only make like 1200 bucks a month. So I was trying to oh, go wow. pursue this dream. I learned yeah. That. And I wasn't making anything. So I was like, I got to go get side hustles and other things. And so I became a realtor, which in 2010, people don't get this, but like, you know, I know being a realtor is hard today because there's no inventory and, you know, getting offers accepted is really hard, but it was way harder in 2010 because nobody could like buy houses. Everyone just got wiped out from 2008. It was hard to get loans. And also too, as a realtor, the prices were so cheap that you didn't really make much selling a home. You know, it would have been yeah. great if you bought it. But today, if you sell a house, you make some really good money. You know, prices are so high. You know, I, I realized after being a realtor for a couple of years that I just didn't like it. I didn't like dealing with clients and the commissions weren't very good. And I just kind of sucked at it overall. I did side hustles and stuff throughout this time. One that kind of got famous on YouTube was couch flipping. Super random, but I just was looking at my apartment one day okay. and I said, man, I bet you I could sell that couch for a lot more than I bought it. You know, I bought it for like a hundred bucks. And I was like, I think I could get like three, 400 bucks for this. And I went out and tested the theory and bought another couch just to see because my wife wouldn't let me sell the couch that we had because we needed it. And I, I was right. I made 200 bucks. And I was like, dude, imagine if I just did this every day, 200 bucks a day, you know, that's 6,000 bucks a month. And so I did it. And sure enough, that was like my first true successful business. I got it to doing 8,000 a month net. And, you know, many people since then, I've gotten kids and everybody telling me they're making 20 grand a month doing this. Like, it's crazy. Okay. I have a question about that. So when you were doing couch flipping, is it like you bought a couch and you fixed it up and then you took better pictures and sold it for a higher profit? Like, did you clean it at all? Or were you simply just like wholesaling it? Like you just got it and like gave it to someone else? Yeah. So I definitely wasn't like refurbishing them and like yeah. doing new covers and stuff and fixing them. I was literally just buying the couch, taking the covers off, throwing them in the washer and that was cleaning it. And then, you know, just re putting a picture up and offering free delivery. So yeah, I definitely didn't like refurbish them the way that you see these people like take old furniture and like make it totally different. All I would do was I'd just buy a couch. I would take off the covers, throw them in the washer, take better pictures and just offer free delivery. And that created the spread because people were willing to pay for convenience. Right. I just did that probably like a thousand times. Yeah, that was my first real successful business. Wow. Wow. And then so you, you didn't like real estate because you were first a real estate agent. So how did you decide, okay, because we were, we both are real estate agents as well. And we agree completely. We love the investor side and being an agent is you're kind of, you're not, you're, you think you're a business, but really you're, you're kind of really working for the client and they can be very demanding. So what kind of made you turn from like, I didn't really love real estate to being like, I'm going to be a real estate investor. The hard part was I always thought I was like done with real estate, you know, and I just remember after doing couch flipping for a while, 
while. I just remember um, my wife and I just gotten married. You know, we've been married for a year and I was super thankful that the couch thing was going well. But I just remember praying on our one year anniversary. I was like, God, what do you want me to do with my life? I don't think it's going to be this forever. Sure enough, I just had this revelation that house flipping was the way to go. Uh, I saw this TV commercial and this guy was like, yeah, you could flip houses with no money down and all this stuff. And I was like, bull crap. Like I would have heard about this. I, I've been in real estate for like five years now and I hadn't. I just was never exposed to the other side of it. I was only exposed to the agent side. And sure enough, I went down this rabbit hole. I start Googling and searching this stuff. And I learn about house flipping and wholesaling and hard money loans and private lenders. And I'm like, wow, you don't have to buy a house with a 30 year FHA loan or a conventional loan. There's other ways to do this. There's other ways to find deals that aren't on the MLS. Like this is crazy. From there, I was just like, I'm going all in on flipping houses. I told my wife, you know, at the time we still didn't have a lot of money because I was still playing minor league baseball. So you know, six months out of the year, I didn't make anything. And then the other six months I flipped couches. You know, I said, I'm going to find us a deal and we're going to make this happen. So I found the first deal. We still didn't have a lot of money. We had $10,000 saved up. And I said, all right, babe, we're going to max out all our credit cards to buy this and fund the down payment. And so we maxed out all of our credit cards for $50,000. We got a little balance transfer and I used that to fund the down payments on my first two flips. And thankfully it worked out. That first flip made 25 grand and the next one made 15 grand. And I was like, this is it. You know, if I could flip five, 10 of these a year, I'll be making six figures, multiple six figures. This will be great. But, you know, it just kept getting crazier and crazier as time went on. Like that first year I flipped five houses. The next year I did 20. The next year I did 50. After that, we did 150. We've been doing over 100 every year since. You know, along with that, a bunch of other businesses got started along the way that kind of branched off of that house flipping business. Business. So yeah, it's been a crazy journey to this point. And now it's like really crazy what we got going on. I think another thing that's really hard that I wanted to kind of ask you is, okay, so once you get started, right, and you start to get momentum, when you're scaling it, do you think it's harder to scale a company or when you're first starting? Because I know Kinsey's doing a flip right now. And in order to scale, you have to have a really, really good team. You have to have good contractors. You have to have a good agent setting you the off markets or you yourself have to find the off markets. So when you were starting to scale, what kind of like qualities were you looking for? And like, how did you find a good contractor, a good real estate agent? Like, or how did you find a hundred contractors to do yeah, it once? Right. I would love it. Right. I think right now we've got 50 active flips going on throughout Las Vegas. Some are entry level homes, some are luxury million, $2 million homes. So like it's a whole wide range of contractors that are like, these guys are good for normal houses. These guys are only good for luxury, right? And it's taken a lot of time to build that. Along that too, you know, we started buying apartments. We now own 460 units and we're gonna probably buy a thousand more this year. And so that requires a whole different type of project management and property management. You know, even though we've scaled to this point, what I would say is I believe it's harder where you're at today. Yeah. Going from zero to one is the hardest move because most people never make it. They just are scared. They don't think they can do it. They don't believe in themselves. And so they go from zero to one. If you get to one, it's easy to go from one to 10. It starts getting hard once you start having to manage five flips at a time. 10 flips at a time. And then you're like, whoa, I need to hire some people because I can't do this alone. But you know, if you're flipping, say, you know, you're buying one house a month, I totally think one person could do that by themselves. And you know, yeah, you got to find contractors, you're gonna have to raise money, you're gonna have to find deals. But you know, to find one deal a month is not that hard. Okay, so when someone's first starting, and they have like no money and no experience, 
would you say your advice is to wholesale or to flip when someone's first starting out? So my advice has changed over the years. You know, I got started flipping. I didn't start wholesaling until way later down the road. Here's what I'll say. A lot of people choose wholesale. For those of your audience who don't know what wholesale is, essentially instead of flipping, instead of having to buy it, renovate it, and then go sell it and get paid, you can essentially just sell the contract to a guy like me, you know, and you go make money like that. So we've wholesaled a lot of properties that, you know, pay you instantly. And so a lot of people like to go that route because they don't have money. And so they say, this is way easier than um, flipping a house and I don't have money, so I'll just do this. I think both work. You know, at the end of the day, here's how I see it. If you're constantly looking for deals, whether they're directly to the seller or MLS, I think there's always a way to make money. You don't have to be the one bringing the money. In fact, you could joint venture with somebody, right? Instead of wholesaling me the deal, you could be like, hey, Ryan, I'll give you this deal. Let's partner up on it. I'm probably not going to give you a 50 50 because it's your first deal and you're not, you know, yeah, the deal's important. But even if you got 20% of it, right, you get to experience the full flip and get to see the process and learn a ton. Like that would be more beneficial to you than just wholesaling it and not learning anything. Right. So I think you could go either way. But to me, I always like teaching people to flip because it, it allows you to become a true real estate investor where you could do anything with the deal, right? And I think most people who get into real estate want to own rentals at some point. So you can't really own rentals if you don't know how to actually buy them and renovate right. them and get them rented out, right? Right. So getting your foot in the door, I think understanding that you're going to have to give a bigger percentage away for people like you that have the money and have the experience but this is like, they're in school kind of. Like your first hundred percent, you're in school. I feel like after reading 5,000 books and then you're like, I know how to do this. And then you do your first deal and you're like, oh my God, okay. <laughs> There's nothing better than just doing it. And that's why we push so much is just telling people, just go start. Like you're gonna make so many mistakes and that's part of the journey. So just getting started. So what do you recommend is your, like a good marketing strategy? How do you find your deals? Yeah, so it really depends on where you're currently at. So for us, I'll just give you us and then I'll give you what I tell beginners. So for us right now, we spend six figures a month on marketing. So I run a ton of TV commercials where I'm like, I'll buy your house. <laughs> right. And that does really well for us. In wow. fact, yeah, the TV commercial, I filmed it over two years ago and we still to this day have never changed it because it just wow. does so well. Amazing. Yeah. I see you on a you billboard, know, one of those billboards is like, I'll buy your house. <laughs> yeah, it's me pointing. I'm like, yeah. I will buy your house. And uh, <laughs> it's funny because I'll get recognized in Vegas and people will be like, You'll buy my house, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> That's such a so, great marketing strategy. It's like you created a brand around your face and like people recognize yeah. you as that guy. Which helps in general because now I've seen, you know, which I applaud you a ton because not only is being a real estate investor a business, but social media is a business and a lot of people don't see it as that. I mean, I've seen you all over lately and I know the work that goes into content creation and building a business through social media. So talk a little bit about that right now. What is your kind of streams of income? Where does your, your time focus on your business wise and creating wise? Before I go into that, just for the beginners who are listening, like that's what I do. Like obviously, like none of you guys are gonna go make TV commercials starting out. I would say yeah, if you're starting out, go on the MLS. There are deals on the MLS. I got one last or on Monday. Like they're still there even though the MLS is tough. Network with agents, network with wholesalers, like just network with anyone and everyone in the industry and you'll get a deal. Plus you're gonna learn a ton from them. So that's my number one advice to beginners. Are they looking for like distressed properties, properties in pre-foreclosure, foreclosure? Is there a specific category when they're on the MLS that they should be looking for? You know, 
we like to set up what's called auto searches. Actually, it's funny, I was signing some of my books. So this is my book on flipping houses. I've published it like four years ago. I self wrote it. I didn't even know how to write a book, but it sold thousands and thousands of copies. You can get it on Amazon or you can just download it for free at um, ryanpineda.com. So that goes over in depth, like how to search on the MLS, because there are many different ways to go about it. But um, the best way that we use is called auto searches. Essentially, if you set up these auto searches, every time a property that fits that criteria comes up, you get notified instantly. And so the key is speed. You know, the moment a good deal comes on, you got to be on the phone with that agent like, yo, what do we got to do to get this yeah. on? Right. The beauty of why I like MLS is because when you're starting out, you don't know how to evaluate deals yet. And so if you're looking at 50 deals a day and you're running the numbers, you're going to get better and you're going to get really good really quick. And so you'll be able to start noticing like, oh, yeah, no, that's a deal. That's not a deal because you've looked at so many houses. And for people that don't have access to um, MLS, PropStream is something that I've been using. And PropStream is also connected to the MLS. And then it already has like the categories of pre foreclosure, foreclosure, divorce, all of these different categories that would be under the category of distress properties. So that's how I've been able to see other properties as well. I also have access to the MLS, but I think for people that don't have access to the MLS, there are so many options out there. It's cost a little bit. It's like a hundred dollars a month, but there's so many options there. If you're not a licensed real estate agent and don't have access to the MLS. hundred percent. Yeah. Prop streams. Great. Batch leads is great. You know, we use all those systems. Amazing. Yeah, I want to know your time divide right now. I know you are a super busy guy. I see you all over and, and, and a lot of people don't view social media as a business, but it takes a lot, a lot of time and you are creating like an animal, which congrats to you. So I see you have a lot of streams now from your business. You have your coaching service, you have your books, you have social media and your house flipping. So how do you manage all of that? I mean, you've really scaled an empire here. Yeah, it's funny. So obviously you both know social media is definitely a full-time job absolutely um, it's funny because i started out as a businessman first and foremost i didn't want to be like a content creator or influencer and i built my house living company and my tax company and my brokerage all just pre-social media kind mm -hmm. of blowing up. And they were doing great. Like, and I learned how to build organizational charts and, and do things so that I'm not so involved in those businesses from the jump. Well, you know, in 2020, when the pandemic hit, I kind of was looking at the world and I said, what trends are about to happen from all this, you know? And I just started thinking, people are gonna be stuck at home doing nothing. Like, what are they gonna do? And I was, it just hit me. I was like, they're gonna be on social media. They're gonna be watching TikTok and YouTube and all this stuff. And TikTok wasn't even big yet, but I remember watching TikTok and I was like, dude, this is addicting. <laughs> this is gonna be yeah. really big. Yeah. And so no entrepreneurs or real estate people were on it yet because they thought it was for kids. And I was like, I think they're going to all migrate to this. This is like the future because if I don't even like watching social media because I like working on my businesses and taking action. Yeah. But if I think this is addicting, this is probably really addicting. <laughs> Yeah. Right. So I just I started a TikTok account during the pandemic. I started a YouTube. I didn't have any followers or subscribers. And I just started making content. And I started watching what the big players were doing, um, who were already doing it for years. And I was like, okay, I get it. Like content's kind of like a business. You, you've got to have a structure for a video. You got to hook them in. You've got to give them value, a call to action at the end. I was like, this is very simple. Okay. And so I started just making videos, which sucked initially. Because you have no followers and you're like talking to nobody. <laughs> yeah, it's weird just talking to a camera like with no one around, no feedback either. Yeah. You know, you don't have yeah. anyone telling you this is good or bad. And so 
what I did was I, I just started making videos. I started to rewatch them myself as a viewer, trying to separate myself. And I'm like, yeah, I wouldn't watch that. <laughs> or yeah, I would watch that. And so that was kind of how I did it. And then I just said, you know what? I'm just going to start posting nonstop and let's yeah. see what the market tells me. And so I started to figure out what people liked hearing about. I would talk more about that. I'd see what videos flopped and, you know, it kind of went from there. But Long story short, as it got traction and my following started to grow, I was like, dude, okay, this is a legit thing that I need to focus all my time and energy into. So I actually took a back seat from my businesses and I told them, I go, guys, you know, I know I help you guys out a lot with whatever, closing deals, talking to people, whatever, taking meetings, but I'm done doing that. I have to focus all my energy on this content thing because I think this is gonna be really big, not just for me personally, but for all of the businesses that they work in. It's gonna get them more leads, more mm -hmm. deals, more money. I was like, this is for everyone. And so I just did it. I mean, fast forward in two years, you know, I started my YouTube channel two years ago now, which is crazy. 200,000 on YouTube, 200,000 on Instagram, a million on TikTok, you know, a top rated podcast. This is all in just two years. But it's also your consistency too, like what I've noticed, because yeah. I've seen like I haven't known who you were but I've seen you know they say the seven touch rule where it takes seven touches for someone to actually take action and like understand and remember who you are I've I've seen you so many times that when I was thinking of like oh my god who do I have on the podcast you came to mind and I don't even know you but I've seen you many <laughs> times I feel like I know you now it's like the consistency is really underrated sometimes like people don't realize obviously the content is important and you give amazing content but it, your consistency is what makes me remember you and want to have mm -hmm. you on yeah. the podcast, et cetera. I mean, you guys know as content creators too, like if you just stop making content for a couple of months, like you're pretty dead. Yeah. <laughs> you oh, know, like, oh my gosh, it's insane. <laughs> yeah, you have to just keep it going. And thankful, I think we all enjoy it. So it's not like a burden to make content, but it's just like any business, right? Like if you think about your realtor business or anyone watching this, their business, if you just shut your business down for two months, what would happen? Yeah. Like, yeah, it would die. Yeah. And so yeah, social media is no different. You can't be like, yeah, I'll make videos this month. And then you're yeah. like, yeah, next month. I didn't like the results, I'm done. It's like, dude, we know starting, just like flips, starting social media is the hardest thing. Yeah. And then in time, you start to get momentum, you get better, people start to recognize you and it gets easier. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like a relationship. And yeah, you get more natural. It's like you yeah. have a relationship with like your viewers. Like you don't know them, but they know you so well that when they don't hear from you, like you need to fuel that relationship with them. Yeah, like, and I'll tell you guys, cause you asked me the question of how's my time spent and like, what's it right. look like? So I spend about $40,000 a month just creating content. Like that's the extent of my whole operation to see what you guys see. But by doing that, I actually don't spend that much time on social media, like creating it. I would say I spend maybe, I'll say 10 hours a week making content and that's it. Like the rest is all my team editing it, creating the thumbnails, the titles, the descriptions, posting it all. Like they handle all that because I've delegated everything to the point where it's like, what's the bare minimum I have to do? Yeah. Like, and that's be the face and, and film. But everyone else can do all these other things. And so that's uh, kind of what my time is spent on social media wise. And then the rest of my week is spent, you know, doing things like this, collaborating, taking meetings for important things. I golf a lot, you know, I, I like to enjoy my life. Too. You guys golf? Yeah. yeah, we both golf. We oh, were just golf. golfing in Dallas last weekend. Yeah. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I love golf. So I'm golfing every week. 
And then I also like to work on my long-term projects. And so I'm always working on some kind of either new business, new product, new service. Like that's my passion in business. Like I love to create something and then hand it off. Yeah. And let oh. everyone else take and it. And I'll say another I, thing, the key, what I've noticed, especially with you, is like the key to scaling is delegating the task to other people because there's no way you can scale like as much as you post. Because I was wondering the same thing. I'm like, how do you post this much and have a family and still have time to golf and do your <laughs> conferences and coach? But I think the key thing that I'm taking away from this is that delegating is like the number one thing you have to do once you start scaling so that you have the time to fuel your and do things for yourself and your family and other projects in order to like scale those other projects. You need to find people that can manage the day-to-day -day posting on social media and editing and all that other stuff, which a lot of people think, yeah. like, okay, once I get big, like how can I be that consistent? Delegate it to someone else. Find someone that specializes in that thing and delegate it to them. Delegate to elevate. You know, I think you, you said two really um, good things. One is, you know, when you actually do take time for yourself to golf, hang with your family, like go on vacation. I was in the Dominican last week. Like it was great. You come back super energized mm -hmm. for whatever task you're doing, you know? So if I go on camera, I go do this, like I'm hyped, you know, I'm not drained because I've been doing whatever that I don't like for the last months, right? So I think that's one thing people need to realize is like working less actually makes you work better. Ooh, yeah. um, like two that. is with delegating, most people don't realize that there's so much you can delegate, number one, but number two, you're not really that good at things you think you're good at. You know, so many people, they just will not give it up. And it's like, no, dude, did you know that if you hire somebody who's actually better than you at that, who loves doing that, the product is going to be better and you're going to get your time back. And in turn, with the product being better, you'll probably make more money too. And so that's what I found in all of my businesses. And like, I'll even say this, it's weird to admit, but like I, I deal with a lot of um, coaches and stuff. People ask me, how do I start a coaching program? Your guys is really successful. You know, I think our coaching program, if, if everything goes right, we'll do eight figures this year. My commitment to the coaching program is obviously seeing the big picture and doing all that and being the face. But my, my actual time commitment is I have a once a week, one hour Zoom. I have our event every quarter, which is a couple of days. That's it. Like, it's not like I'm talking to thousands of students on the phone, like helping them solve problems. I'm not like on Zooms every day. Like I would just go crazy doing that. Yeah. But what we do do well is that we have great coaches. We have great leadership. We've got great students and they're all getting what they need from other people who love it and are great at it. And so like my coaches, like they love to go hop on a call with the students and help them close a deal, help them solve a problem because it brings them fulfillment and they're just like, they live for it. Whereas I live in like the big picture mm. where I'm like, okay, how do we, you know, reach more students? How do we create something that's even better for our current students? What can we do to make this next event like the craziest event ever? What can we do with the after parties or, you know, whatever? So I like thinking big picture for sure. That's incredible that you've been able to build such a team. I think seeing that in the past and building my teams, I mean, I haven't been as fortunate with, you know, letting my trust in other people leading the companies. That's been, I think, managing a ton of people in, in different businesses all at once. It hasn't been as streamlined, I think, as yours, but uh, that would be the ultimate goal. I think letting go of control and, and letting other people, you know, 
guide the company in the right direction, but sometimes their vision or their work ethic isn't where you want it to be because they are an employee. They don't have the same visionary or hard work like you. You're an entrepreneur and you've been able to build several businesses because that's within you, you know, and you get up every single day and you hustle. But with employees, they don't have the same drive. So I think that's been a big um, in the past year, definitely a big struggle for me. I'm like finding a good employee, finding good contractors, all those things. I'm like, that's a dream. <laughs> Let me give you three tips for solving that problem. So one is obviously you have social media, like a huge following. So I hire almost like 99% of my people from social media because the beauty is these people already follow me. Like they know what I'm all about. And so I don't have to convince people to work for me, right? They right. want to work with me versus if you go post on LinkedIn or something, they don't know anything. You're selling yourself to them, whereas right. they're selling themselves to you. So I think if you just post about your job openings a lot more, it'll you'll get some really good candidates. Two is I always hire top down. So if I start a new business or something, the first thing I'm looking for is that COO, you know, okay. because what most entrepreneurs do is they say, okay, I'm the COO, I'm the CEO also. And then I need a website person, a salesperson, whatever, right? They go hire these pieces. But I actually think opposite. I think of who's this guy at the top that's going to run this day to day because that guy is the most important because they're going to be there like all day, every day. All my COOs in all my companies, every, every company has one. I will not start one without one. Their sole focus is that company and they're also getting profit share on that company. Right. And so they might be an owner. They might just be on a net profit commission. But either way, I want them incentivized for the company to like push the whole company forward to basically make them an entrepreneur, you know, because now they win too. It's not like, oh man, what I'm doing doesn't really help me. It just makes Ryan rich. Right, it's like, right. no, it helps everyone. So I would think about your comp plan for this person and say, how can I incentivize them to push the entire company forward? But the third thing I would do, your hiring process is like the most important thing with this, right? You know who you want to hire. You know how you're going to hire them. You're going to post on social. But, you know, that hiring process is what we are so strict about. You know, we actually just hired an HR person full time that she literally just interviews people all day, every day for all my companies trying to find the right fit. Like we don't if we have a hole, we don't just go fill it right away. Even if it's there and it sucks and like whatever, we'll wait to find the right person. And it, it's just so true. Like that saying slow to hire, quick to fire. I've never seen it more true because like the moment you hire the wrong person, the amount of time, the money, everything that you waste on them is so much worse than just waiting. Right. And the legality and the thing you have, the, all the things you have to cross to be able to appropriately fire someone and the time you spent training them. Well, this is, this is excellent advice. I really do appreciate that. I think that's the thing that we were missing was the COO. And I, I've thought that for so long, but unfortunately I was like, if I could find, I'm very type A, very organized. If I could find a COO like that, then that's what I'm, I just, I need to post on social media and be a headhunter. But are your employees all in Las Vegas or do you have remote employees as well? We used to be like all Vegas when I first started all my companies, but we've slowly transitioned since COVID to be like very remote. You know, I have two office spaces here in Vegas and, you know, we got about 11,000 square feet. And then we just opened up a satellite in California for one of my COOs who's out there. I would guess like at this point, we're probably 50-50 between virtual and in-person. I've kind of realized that like, especially with social media, right? You know, our, our audience is not local, like a fraction is. And so it's like, if I have a job that can be virtual, would I rather take the best person who happens to be in freaking New York or the local guy who's not as good? And I, I, I want talent. That's right. what I want. I want. I'm like a sports team, dude. Yeah. yeah. I just want 
the best players. I don't care where you came from. So me and Kinsey just did this conference. Um, we just went to this conference in Texas. And while we were there the whole time, we were we felt kind of like headhunters because we were just analyzing like the way that they set up their, their business structure, their business structure, the way that they were talking to people, like the sales strategy, the way that they trained their sales team, which by the way, was incredible. Like we went through the whole lineup. We were like acting, you know, like we wanted to buy their program and seeing what the sales representative would say and like the rebuttals and how they're trained. And everybody was trained using the same keywords, the same tone of language. Like it was so cohesive and amazing that me and Kinsey were like, we need to start going to like these events and understanding like, how do you hire people like that? Cause that's huge when you're scaling your business, the training program of like how to hire someone that not only fits the brand, but has like the same sales kind of like mode as you and using kind of like the same lingo. So for you, like, do you have a super, super strict training program? I mean, I know some of the, your people are like behind the scenes, but do you have a super strict program as far as like with your coaches and stuff? Is it kind of like all the same language? Like you guys are all on the same page? Yeah. So it's funny you say that because, you know, when most people are focused on one company, right? So you're building everything specific to that company. But, you know, we've got seven different companies right now that are all doing over seven figures, right? And so they're all very much independent. And I started to realize that, man, it was hard to scale the same philosophy across all companies because the one person who's in that one company, he doesn't have time to worry about the other companies, right? And for me to solve that issue, what I ended up doing was essentially starting a parent company. And so now with this parent company, I spent over a hundred grand a month in salaries just at the parent company level. What it is, is to solve that issue you just said, where we have at that top, our head sales manager. And so he's responsible for imparting the same sales techniques across all the companies, holding them accountable, making sure they're hitting their quotas and KPIs. So that way my COOs in each individual company don't need to hire their own sales manager. They already have it from the parent. I noticed that when we buy Facebook ads and media, it's like, dude, each company, if they tried to go hire a media buyer is really hard. So I said, let's just hire one at the parent company and let them run ads for everybody. You know, So we did that, You know, HR that I talked about earlier, she's at the parent company, legal, finance, right? Instead of them all trying to go do finance themselves, parent company will do it all for you. Tech, we're working on so many softwares and different things across, that's our biggest expense is tech. I'm, I'm spending imagine. a ton of money building out different tech. You know, social media, right? If all these companies have to manage their own social media, it's a lot of work. You know, I just want all my companies to focus on what they do well, which is their, whatever their product or service is, just dominate that and let all the other weird, smaller parts of running a business be kind of singular in how we do it across all companies. Wow. And so yeah. where do you see yourself and your companies in five years? <laughs> I don't know. That's you know. <laughs> wherever life takes I, you. I like to tell this story too for anyone listening who's just starting out. You know, it was just literally five years ago. Well, now I guess six, but last year I told this story. Five years ago in 2016, that was the first time I ever made over $100,000 in a year, right? Wow. You just see the span of five years later to go from making, you know, 100000 in a year to, you know, doing over 
10 million in a year to, you know, five years from now, I mean, we could be doing over a hundred million, maybe a billion. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't want to cap ourselves and say, this is what we're going to do. I would have never imagined I'd be where I'm at today. So I think the key is what Jessica said earlier is just consistency. You know, if you know, you have a blueprint that works for you, right? My blueprint works for me, you know, make content, build businesses, rinse and repeat. If you know you have a a formula that works for you, like if you do that every single day for the next five years, you're going to move like way further than you probably thought. And that's my biggest advice to people is it doesn't happen overnight. It's like day-to-day stuff that no one ever sees. And I think another thing is when people are first getting started, there's always this gray area between am I passionate about this and is this going to scale or is this not for me? Should I try something different? And I think what me and Kinsey are learning, because we've always been fascinated with real estate. We've been real estate agents. We've always wanted to invest and we had like, we had saved money to invest, but we had never fully like got into it or done our first flip. And now that we're doing it, are kind of realizing now, obviously we wish we would have started, you know, back in the day, like four years ago, five years ago, but we're realizing now there's going to be times where it's tough. There's going to be times where you question yourself. Like, is this my passion? Is this really for me? But I think staying the course and being consistent is what me and Kinsey are learning that now. Like now that we know this is our passion, this works for us. This makes us click. We need to stay consistent and like long-term understand consistency is where the value is. It's not like we're going to feel it in a week from now or two weeks from now, but staying consistent over five years, like that's when our business is going to build. And that nobody's telling you to go to work every single day. So whether it is social media or it's real estate, like it's going to be hard. And every single day you have to be motivated to get up and say I have or time blocking your schedule like we talked about on the previous podcast and treating it like a business whether you're making a million dollars or making two dollars if you say this is my business this is Kinsey Incorporated I'm going to wake up from nine to ten and do this and and you map out your entire schedule and you commit all in and you talk about it like a business and you act like a business that's the way that it's going to actually happen and and it's not going to always be easy I promise you're not always going to want to wake up you don't have a boss telling you what to do, but that's why you get to make um, unlimited earning potentials because you're motivating yourself to do it. So just go out there and do it. It's not always as easy as it always sounds, but look at Ryan and what he did in five years. Super, super exciting. So if you guys put that on your wall and you look up, you guys can take his coaching programs as well. And you, I'm sure they give you exactly roadmaps on ways to do it. So if you guys are thinking about getting started, it's definitely now is the chance because I thought about it for too long. Obviously I had social media going the whole time and other businesses but I always wanted real estate like and to be investing and I got it finally made that decision and did it and I'm like wow I spent so much time in my head and that same amount of time I could have been working on it and doing it so if you're hearing this right now go do it but Ryan also I really appreciate you because it's not like you're doing it just to do it you're not just doing a job like I can feel and even through your videos I feel that you're so passionate about it so that's another thing I will say is that it does have to be something something that like lights your fire. It has to be something that is part of your strengths and that you're able to do consistently because you're just doing it just to do it. Anyone can do something just to do something, but they're not going to be consistent long-term because you're going to burn out. So it does need to be something like Ryan has found. He's the face of this company. He likes to motivate people. He has this energy that he brings to people and inspires people like me and Kinsey. So finding what your strengths are and then going full force, not just full force randomly. So maybe real estate's for you. Maybe it's not for you. Find something that is for you and fuels your fire and 
do that consistently. And Ryan, you've done amazing at that. So I just want to say we and Kinsey look up to you and you're absolutely incredible and such an inspiration to us. No, I appreciate all that. It's been amazing chatting with you guys. And like I said, from the beginning, if I can ever help you guys out anyway, would love to. I'm sure there's a lot of ways we can um, collaborate and yeah, um, help build each other's businesses up. So I'm excited. Let's golf Yeah, soon. I'm so happy to, yeah, we can yeah. all golf. If you're ever in Puerto Rico, let me know. We have the most insane golfing here in Dorado and networking. You'd be surprised. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, awesome. Thank you so much for coming on. If you guys get the chance, check out Ryan on all social media platforms. I'm going to be linking him on my Instagram and on this podcast. Definitely going to inspire you whether you're into real estate or not or building businesses. He's an incredible guy. So yeah, thank you guys so much. We will see you next week on Blonde's Building Equity.